There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare breaking down every game every day in major league baseball this is the baseball betting show here is your host greg peterson Welcome to Bobby Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Visa Family Podcast. We've got a tremendous podcast for you guys. We're going to be joined in segment number two by one of our favorites, Rob Donaldson. He does a great job with the No Name Baseball Podcast, and I know that he does a great job with his Best Bets Show slash podcast, which you're able to find on his YouTube feed as it is youtube.com slash Rob Donaldson for that. He's going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at a few teams that he's bullish slash bearish on in the second half of the season. Some of the things that he takes a look at to try to identify progression slash regression for these teams towards back half of the season. And then we're going to be diving into some of these games that we do have for Saturday. In the final segment, we actually now have 17 games on the board because of a few rainouts. I give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letter CM. They mean it does not matter, so as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. Did not get in any Twitter questions today, but was very nice to have baseball back on Friday. Let's take a look back at it. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Now they had me on Saturday bet prep for VEASAN, the Sports Betting Network, so I had to do this a little bit in advance, doing this recap right around 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time as we've got a lot of West Coast games that are going on as I do this recap. I will do a little bit of cleanup on those games tomorrow, the ones that I'm not able to hit tonight, so rest assured there, but the big-time performance of the night came in Cincinnati. one to nothing. The Brewers get it done in what is a critical series in the NL Central for Burns. He gets 13 strikeouts, 6 scoreless for Corbin Burns. From there, Elvis Piguero, Joe Piamps, Devin Williams all deliver a scoreless inning. Victor Carantini, RBI single. That's all the Brewers needed as Graham Ashcraft 
He takes a loss, but he pitched quite well. He was not a load of Ashcraft. He gave up 106 innings from there. Derek Law, Fernando Cruz, Lucas Sims, they all lend a scoreless innings. So, score one for the Milwaukee Brewers there. The DK Network pick of the under in the Phillies game was a rather rough beat. We had three runs to spare going into the ninth inning as we took the under of nine and a half. He had seven runs going into the ninth inning, and of course, two home runs, torpedoes this one. Eight to three, the San Diego Padres were able to get it done as for the Padres. They were able to belt out four total home runs. Fernando Tatis Jr. goes deep off of Christopher Sanchez. 17th home run season, Gary Sanchez, his eighth off of Sanchez. As Sanchez goes four or five innings, he gives up three runs, including those two home runs. And then Jeff Hoffman gives one up to Manny Machado, 16th home run season. Then Juan Soto gets his 16th of the campaign. That comes off of Dylan Covey. And Covey gives up two runs to two innings for Hoffman. Gives up a run in an inning, Andrew Vasquez. He got into a sticky situation, giving up two runs in two-thirds of an inning before Andrew Bellotti. He gets it out of the bullpen. New Darvish did exactly what was expected. One run surrendered in six innings. From there, you did have Luis Garcia give up a home run. Two runs in total in his inning of work. JT Mito goes deep. His 11th home run season. Tom Cosgrove, Nick Martinez, both London squirrels saying, and Josh Hader gets a save, getting a pair of outs out of the bullpen. The San Francisco Giants, they get a 6-4 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates. As for San Francisco, wasn't necessarily a work of art from them, but you know what? Ross Stripling did just enough in a rather short start. Two runs surrendered over the course of four and two-thirds innings, going deep off of him. G-Man Joy, fourth home run season. From there, Shamanea gives up two runs in two-thirds of an inning, but you had Camilo Duvall come in for a scoreless inning. Mauricio Lovero gets a pair of outs out of the bullpen, and then Tyler Rogers was able to lend two scoreless innings for the Giants. They go to three of 14 with men in scoring position, but took advantage of two Pittsburgh Pirates errors. Rich Hill, he gives up three runs over the course of six innings. From there, Colin Olderman could not... Hold her on to this game. Three runs, two of which were earned. Give it up in a third of an inning before Yuri De Los Santos gets a scoreless inning. And Ryan Baruki was able to get one and two-thirds inning scoreless. The dominance of the Atlanta Braves, it just continues. Nine to zero. They blank the Chicago White Sox as for the White Sox. Michael Kopech got two outs and he gave up four runs, all of which were earned as he threw 38 pitches and 14 were strikes. Going deep for the Atlanta Braves, Matt Olson, his 30th home run of the season. Charlie Bourne was much more accurate. He gave up one walk in seven scoreless innings. Ben Eller, Lucas Lutke, scoreless innings from there. For the White Sox, things calmed down a little bit as Suki Toussaint uh, in very long relief. Five and a third innings, he gave up one run. Former Atlanta Brave, honestly, not a bad effort. But then, Brian Shaw from there gives up four runs in two-thirds of an inning before Tanner Banks gets four outs out of the bullpen. Scoreless, so hopefully you got a nine and a half if you took a look at that one under else. That might have been a little bit brutal. This was brutal for the New York Mets. Could not score a single run against the LA Dodgers. 6-0 the final is Julio Urias. He came out and he gave his best performance of the year. One hit allowed in six scoreless innings. Yancey Almonte, Ryan Brazier, Caleb Ferguson. All scoreless innings from there. J.D. Martinez goes deep off of Dominique Leon. 23rd home run season as Leon gives up this home run in his inning of work for Justin Verlander. Six walks in five innings. He was not coming out of the all-star break sharp. Giving up three runs along the way. Only gave up two hits, but those six walks were costly. David Peterson, no relation, gives up a run in an inning along Drew Smith. And Trevor Gott, he was able to end a scoreless inning as well. But the Mets now... 42-49. and 49. It is looking rather bleak, and it is getting late early for them. So, 
and something that you do want to know. And the Dodgers, they entered into the second half of the season with the top over mark in the big league. So a little bit of an under there. And the Preds were number two, and they played an under as well. With the Atlanta Braves, they have been a very good over team as well. But if you're looking at the best team to the under, other than the San Diego Padres, who, of course, they put up an over, you had the Cleveland Guardians being that. And right now, the Cleveland Guardians, as I do this podcast, are up 4-3 to three on the Walker Texas Rangers in the seventh inning. It's been a case where the Cleveland Guardians have gotten a relatively okay showing out of Aaron Savali. He's given up two runs over the course of five innings. He gave up a home run going deep for the Texas Rangers. Nathaniel Lowe was able to get his 10th home run season. John Gray filled six innings but gave up four runs, including a pair of home runs. Josh Naylor, 12th home run season. And Bo Naylor, his second home run of the campaign for the Rangers. They've been able to get a squirrel sending from there out of Brock Burke. And now for the Guardians, it's up to the bullpen. Nick Sandlin, Eli Morgan combined for an inning, giving up a run along the way. So we shall see what happens on that front. The Orioles and the Marlins had a super-duper long rain delay. So as I record this game, it's not quite finished up. The Orioles are currently up by a count of 3-1 to one as they were able to get a very spectacular start in this one as they were able to have Dean Kramer go six innings, giving up just one run by Baker from there. as giving you a scoreless setting and Adam Frazier and Cedric Mullins both able to go deep in this one off of Sandy Alcantara, who as of right now is currently in the game. Three runs, two of which were earned. Give it up in six innings for him. Frazier, 11th home run season. Cedric Mullins, his ninth. This game just went final as you've got the uh, Toronto Blue Jays getting it done against the Arizona Diamondbacks by a count of 7-2. And for the Jays, they were able to get 16 hits in total in this game. Jose Barrios, he gave up seven hits in five and a third innings, but only one run allowed. Trevor Richards from there. Gives up a solo run and one and two-thirds innings going deep for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Gabriel Moreno was able to get his third home run season. He did get a scoreless setting from there out of both Jay Jackson along Nate Pearson. Meanwhile, for the Jays, Lager Jr., he's starting to get hot. 14th home run season. I've been telling you guys, it's been a matter of when, not if, with the Toronto Blue Jays being able to heat things up with regards to the bats. He has now been able to supply, I believe, now five home runs over the course of the last 13 or so games. So that's been good for them and for the Arizona Diamondbacks. It was Ryan Nelson who gave up that home run and honestly didn't give the world's worst performance. He does give up nine hits in five and two-thirds innings, but only two runs, one of which was earned, including that home run surrender. From there, Austin Adams gives up four runs, three of which were earned in two-thirds of an inning. Kyle Nelson, the other Nelson, gives up a run in a third of an inning before you get one and a third inning scoreless. Out of Justin Martinez, you have the Astros and the Angels just getting started. We shall see what happens there. And Minnesota Twins have already struck on the Oakland A's 2-0. They're already up in the top of the second inning. As for the Oakland A's, they trotted out there. Ken Waldeschuk for a start tonight. I don't think I'm going to need to do much cleanup on that one. I think that we know that's going to go. Right now, the boss of Red Sox, Brian, Brian Bayo, looks like they should be able to get this done against the Cubs. They're currently up by a count of 7-3. Baseball could be a strange sport, but for Bayo, another solid start. Gives up three runs over the course of six innings. Now, he did give up a home run along the way, but for Brian Bayo, that now makes 14 straight starts with three runs or fewer surrender for the Cubs. Cody Bellinger had both of the home runs off of him, 10th and 11th of the campaign. And for Kyle Hendricks, I was thinking there was going to be a little bit of regression with his home run numbers. He gave up four home runs, five runs in total over the course of four and two-thirds innings. As going deep, you had Adam Duvall get his seventh home run season, Rafael Devers twice, 21st, 22nd home run season, 
Tristan Casas. He gets his 10th, and Justin Turner down for one. And since went deep off of Mark Leiter Jr. for his 14th home run of the season, Leiter gives up two runs over the course of his inning. Anthony K. He was able to get four outs out of the bullpen scoreless as well. You've got currently a rain delay in St. Louis. They're up 1-0 on the Washington Nationals. That game hardly was able to get going as this is one that is currently suspended in the bottom of the third inning. We could have a situation if this continues to extend where they have to finish up the game on Saturday and then you have them pretty much having a semi-doubleheader or something like that. So that's very interesting. And if that game does pretty much get pushed back to Saturday, that would give you a refund if you did bet that game. And currently the Colorado Rockies are up by a count of 42 on the New York Yankees with Austin Gomber. Gombering up the Yankees, who just can't generate any offense. John Carlos Sand got his 10th home run season in the first inning, and that's been all the offense for the New York Yankees, with Gomber giving up two runs in six innings. Randall Gritchick went deep off of one Carlos Rodon for his fifth home run season for Rodon. Gave up four runs in five innings, and now it's up to the bullpen to be able to hold it down. And if you're looking out there on the West Coast as well, doing this as the Tigers versus Mariners game as you have to get started. And if you are looking at some of the trends of Major League Baseball, obviously we've got quite a few games that are in the balance on Friday, but overall the season favorites are hitting at about 58.5%. 786 and 559, but among these favorites, we have seen a grand total of 198 fail to cover the run line overall for the season. Unders are hitting at about 50.3%, 653 unders, 644 overs, and if you're looking at the last 30 days in baseball, last seven days, not going to be a good representation, but last 30 days in baseball, been a little bit overwhelming. 167 overs to 160 unders with favorites in the science span, hitting at about what we're seeing for the season, 58.7%, 203 and 143 straight up are those favorites. And among these favorites, all but 44 have been able to cover the run line. And if you're looking at the last 60 days in Major League Baseball, favorites hitting at about 58.3%, 430 and 307 in this time span with 107 of those favorites not being able to cover the run line with 355 overs to 354 under. So bookmakers clearly know what the heck they're doing with these totals and Hopefully, we know what the heck we're going to be doing with the second half of the baseball season and get back on track with those DK Network picks. But coming up next, we are going to be joined by Rob Donaldson. He does tremendous work handicapping this great game of baseball, does a great job with the No Name Baseball Podcast, and also the Rob's Best Bet Show on YouTube as well. He's going to be joining me. We're going to be taking a look at Saturday's games and some of the teams that he's bullish slash bearish on towards the second half of the season. That's up next on the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4. 
Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare are you ready to become a winning sports better schedule a call with sbia to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. We're back to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by this man. It's Rob Donaldson. He does tremendous work handicapping the great game of baseball. You're able to catch all of his podcasts and his shows over on his YouTube feed at YouTube.com slash his name, Rob Donaldson. Last name is spelled D-O-N-A-L-D-S-O-N. I know he does a great job with the show, Rob's Best Bets. And he also does the No Name Baseball podcast as well, but is making quite a name for himself as Rob does an absolutely tremendous job taking a look at this game that we all know and love. And on Twitter, his handle is at RobDFB altogether. And Rob, always great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Always a pleasure to talk ball with you. It is always a pleasure to have you aboard. And Rob, we're doing this just as the Friday games are getting started. So good to have baseball back after it felt like we were stuck in the baseball desert for a few days with absolutely nothing to be able to watch, nothing to be able to bet on. So that sort of stunk. But are there a few teams that stand out to you that 
either you're bullish on or you're bearish on coming into the season. And this could be either from a features perspective to make the playoffs, win the division, what have you, or just even a little bit more of a game-to-game perspective. He's a might be able to provide a little bit of value in that department. Yeah, I think one of the teams right out of the gate here in the second half that's going to have a lot of inherent value is going to be the Padres. Because, one, I do think that the first three guys in that rotation are performing pretty well. And then sometimes an all-star break can really get a pitcher right. For example, you Darvish. That's kind of the angle I'm playing on his starts, at least over the first couple here. It's going well tonight. You know, <laughs> Knock on wood that it doesn't just blow up in our face here. We're only sitting in about the third or fourth inning. But when you're kind of looking at the Padres team that lineup is what it is the bullpen has been pretty good outside of the ninth inning which is just an oddity and I do think they have a lot inherent value because I think their offense is going to pick up on the flip side I look at the D-backs and I think this is one that we agree on I really do think that they are going to be in for a downturn in the second half I just don't buy that rotation I think their bats are solid and promising for the future a lot of the time but I really don't think that they are a complete lineup top to bottom. And I think they kind of fizzle out the same way that we saw the Orioles fizzle out last year. Yeah, with the Arizona Diamondbacks, I do take a look at their advanced numbers. And part of the reason why I'm a little bit bearish on them is to your point. When you take a look at baseball savant in terms of actual slugging percentage versus expected slugging percentage, the Arizona Diamondbacks have been the biggest overachievers this season. And is that something that you do pay attention to? Because I don't think that advanced numbers are the end-all be-all. Just because a team might have an above 500 record in one-run games doesn't mean that all of a sudden they're never going to win another one-run game or anything like that. I think that it's very situation by situation, especially in like one-run games, looking at who has a good slash bad bullpen is very key in that as well but is that something that you do put a little bit of stock into because that does have me thinking that the Arizona Diamondbacks might be in for a little bit of a downturn coupled with the fact that they don't have a ton of playoff experience on that roster. 100% and I look at it in two different ways especially when you're talking about hard hit percentages or slugging percentages versus expected and I really look at the Diamondbacks and like you mentioned They weren't really stinging the ball that well, but they were putting up a lot of runs because they do have that small ball aspect to them, which is exciting, but it can be neutralized at times, especially when they're kind of getting on base in, I don't want to say gimmicky ways, but a lot of base hits and a lot of non, like a lot of kind of just gappers that probably shouldn't be gappers from certain guys. And when you kind of look at other teams, like for example, the Cardinals, I I do think that there's um, an upside to that offense mainly because throughout the entire month of June and even May, they were stinging the ball at the highest percentages in the league and they weren't getting any runs. So kind of vice versa. I look for teams that are underachieving or overachieving. And I really look to go against those types of teams in that aspect um, throughout the season. Yep. I'm right there with you. And I do think that that is important to be taking a look at not an end all be all. And sometimes when a guy is doing for regression, sometimes you take a look at a guy doing for regression. You're like, all right, maybe it's not going to be this game because they're going up against, say, the Kansas City Royals or something like that. But you're doing that a little bit more when they go up against, say, the Atlanta Braves, where that's where it can really come through. As joining me on the show, we do have Rob Donaldson, does a terrific job with Rob's bets, along with the No Name Baseball Podcast. And I know that you were mentioning the San Diego Padres, and they've got a very intriguing double dip. We know what we're getting in game one in terms of Blake Snell versus Tywan Walker. Game two, it does look like it's going to be Ryan Weathers versus Ranger Suarez. We don't really have any numbers up for those game, for that game in game number two. But in game one, the Walker-Snell game, we do have a line on this one with a total of nine. And 
Mike Snell being about a minus 125 or so favorite. And what do you make out of that game one between Snell and Walker? Because I look at that total of nine and it just seems way too high for the way that both of these guys pitch going into the all-star break. 100%. And early on in the season, Blake Snell was definitely on my fade list over the first couple months. And it was paying dividends because he was getting shelled and he was not being efficient with his pitch counts. That has done a complete turn. And now Blake Snell is pitching and I'll say it like one of the best pitchers in all of baseball right now. So if you're setting the line at nine or nine and a half, that's just far too much runs for just that one side being neutralized in terms of the Phillies, I think. And like you mentioned too, Taiwan Walker hasn't really been all that shabby or not terrible. So I really do like nine and a half going under. Um, and that's definitely going to be something that I bet tomorrow as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I was very stunned to see that because even Taiwan Walker, one runner fewer surrendered in five out of his last six starts as well. So while Blake Snell has been good, Taiwan Walker, if you're looking at hottest pitchers in the National League, if Snell is number one, Taiwan Walker is probably in the top five with the way that he has pitched in the last 30 days as well. So I am very intrigued by that. And when we take a look at the National League, what I think might be the most critical series that is going to be coming up for Saturday is one involving those two pesky NL Central teams, the Milwaukee Brewers and the Cincinnati Reds, with the Reds entering into Friday just a hair in front of the Brewers for that NL Central lead. It's going to be Andrew Abbott, who's a very slight minus 115, minus 120 favorite over Freddie Peralta. And what do you make, not just out of this game, but the NL Central race in general? Because I've been befuddled all season long that bookmakers have been making the Milwaukee Brewers such a big favorite in the NL Central. I do think that bookmakers are starting to catch on to the fact that this Reds team has a lot of young talent. And I do think that when it's all said and done, the Reds have a good shot of being able to win this division. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I do think the Reds have a lot of upside in this division, especially if they become buyers. And they do have the farm system to become buyers. And they also have a lot of young guys in their system that I think could actually make an MLB impact before the season's over that we haven't already seen. In regards to this game in particular, what's kind of interesting is I do think Andrew Abbott is one of those guys, like we kind of mentioned, who I do think is due for some regression because although he has been pretty darn respectable, even under the hood, the numbers he's putting up just really aren't reflective of what's actually happening with him. I do think he's closer to a four ERA pitcher than he is to a two ERA pitcher. And then on the other side with Freddie Peralta, you know, he's given up three earned runs in three straight ball games, but Kind of the opposite with him. I, I do think I expect some positive regression to come out of Freddie Peralta just because he is limiting hard contact, especially as of late. And because of that, when you're getting plus money or even payouts with the Brewers in this spot, I really do lean towards taking the Brewers on the money line here. With Freddie Peralta as well, if he can regame that form that he had a few years ago when he was an all-star, that'd be massive for a Brewers team that they're still looking to get Brandon Woodruff back in the fold. Biggest trepidation I have with the Brewers is the fact that you just have no idea what you're going to get out of that offense. Being a Brewers fan, you either get eight runs or you get one. There's not a lot of threes. There's not a lot of fours. It's a very all or nothing team. As a man that always gives you his all and he never gives you a nothing, that'd be Rob Donaldson does tremendous work. Take a look at the game of baseball. He's joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Show. And we really do have a lot of good series that are coming up for this weekend. And can't believe I'm saying this, but this is one of the better series that's going down. The Orioles and the Miami Marlins. Very intriguing matchup here with Kyle Gibson going for the Orioles. Braxton Garrett is on the bump for Miami. Miami's between about a minus 105 to like even money, somewhere in that neighborhood, minus 115, the number on the Orioles. And what do you make out of a situation like this? Because I do think that it is very clear that the Miami Marlins 
They've got the uh, better starting pitcher in this game with Braxton Garrett, but at the same time, the Orioles have a little bit more of a well-rounded lineup, and they are the home team. Yeah, what's kind of interesting in this spot, and this has kind of been the theme, I guess, of our conversation so far, is guys poised to regress or potentially um, experience positive regression in the second half. And when you look at Braxton Garrett, this is a guy that maybe isn't a you know a household name on the Marlins, but he has been posting respectable numbers. And I just don't think he should be posting respectable numbers when you look under the hood, because this is the guy who I think experiences the most regression in the second half in terms of starting pitchers who have done really well. Yeah, the Orioles lineup has kind of been hit or miss as of late coming into the All-Star break, but I think they can get it going against a lefty here, and I really do think that they put up some runs. So I'm looking at the Orioles money line here. I'm looking at Orioles team totals going over, and that's kind of my angle in this type of matchup. And with the Orioles as well, they were a team that they were a little bit more all or nothing towards back half of the first half, but I do think that being able to bring up some of those young guys, coupled with the fact that they were without Ryan Mountcastle, for the back half of the first half as well. Him being back the full, I think that that's a bigger difference than what a lot of people wanted to give it credit for as well. So I do think that that'll be lending a lot of positivity for the Orioles. Couple of the fact that Felix Bautista along the inner home, they might be the best one-two punch in all yeah. baseball. And how much do you want to be taking a look at some of those teams with really good bullpens? Because some of the teams I did take a look at that I am going to be looking at for some positivity towards back half of the season, are these teams with some depth? Like, I think that we're both on the same page with the Cleveland Guardians having a good shot to be able to win the AL Central. And a big reason why is because they've got a lot of depth with their bullpen. The starting pitching rotation, it's maybe not the world's greatest, but you know what? It's solid enough. And I think that these are teams that can provide a lot of value, especially if they're a team that is in a division like the AL Central, where I don't think that there's going to be a whole lot of buyers, probably not a whole lot of sellers either, but certainly not a lot of teams buying a whole bunch of pieces. Right. And what's going to be kind of interesting, especially over this next couple of weeks, is to see which teams decide to absolutely destroy their bullpens in trades. The Cardinals could be a definite a prime candidate for that when their bullpen has already been shaky to begin with. Some of these bullpens are going to bottom out. Some of these middle of the pack bullpens are really going to get an uplift and some of these bullpens who are almost pretty much complete, like the Orioles, what's kind of nice about their spot that they're in is they don't really need to spend a lot of draft capital on bullpen arms. So they have Brian Baker, they have Bauman, they have Cano, they have Felix Bautista. They have multiple guys in that pen who have been very good all season long. And now that gives them the, the leeway or the, the cushion to go out and try to get a starting pitcher and some lineup pieces. And that's why this is a crazy time to be betting Major League Baseball. But it's it's such a fun time, especially when you know, you are involved with these teams on a daily basis like we are. Yeah, it certainly is a lot of fun to be able to take a look at. And I do think that we've got a really nice slate that is on tap for this Saturday. And out of all the games that we have yet to mention, are there a few that really do stand out to you? Because we did mention that there were a few series that I mentioned off the top that have a lot of playoff implications, but really there are a ton of them. The Dodgers versus the Mets series is big. I view that Astros versus the LA Angels series as being very, very critical as to what happens with the future of one Shoy Otani. Obviously, Blue Jays versus Diamondbacks is a big one. Red Sox versus Cubs is a relatively big one. It's really nice to see a lot of meaningful baseball being played right now. Anything really standing out to you? Like you mentioned, there are so many games you can pick from right here. I mean, Diamondbacks, Blue Jays feels like an explosion of offense that I don't think a lot of people are going to see coming because... Listen, Zach Gallon is a strikeout machine. So is Kevin Gossman. But these guys are giving up a lot of hard hit percentages. And that's talking per game. And we're talking about two lineups that 
you know, have been pretty good on offense. Obviously, we talked about the Diamondbacks being a potential regression candidate, but until we see it, I'm still going to lean to that they can put up maybe two or three runs per outing. And then the Blue Jays coming into the break were really stinging the ball really well. And Vlad Guerrero had kind of turned a little bit of a corner in his season as well. So I'm looking at the Blue Jays on potential run line spot there. I'm definitely looking the over at seven and a half. And that's just a really fun game to see how that plays out as well. I do think that this is going to be a lot of fun. I think that we are in for a tremendous second half of the season. And Rob, I know that you do a tremendous job taking a look at this game and I know that once the baseball season is done, you do a great job on the college basketball front as well, which is my favorite two sports as well. So love the good people at home. Know what's on tap for you and how people are able to follow along with all of your work on social media and other platforms. Yeah, I try to post picks every single day, whether it's on YouTube or on Twitter. And just the kind of the best way to keep in touch with what I'm doing is just to follow me on Twitter at Rob DFB. From there, you can just kind of keep up with what I'm doing. I, I love tweeting out when I'm hopping on with Greg. He's a great dude. And obviously, like I've been saying, every time I come on this show, you are the gold standard when it comes to this thing. So thank you for having me on. And Rob is one of the best when it comes to taking a look at the game of baseball every single time he joins this podcast. Lunch tremendous insights. I know that he is in for a great second half. And it is always a pleasure to get him aboard. A big thanks to Rob for joining me on the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we catch them all. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is uncanny usa he says somebody's in the house and i screamed listen to uncanny usa wherever you get your bbc podcasts if you dare there's no distance too far for the perfect trip hi checking in for or the perfect table hey where are you And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Breaking down every game, every day in Major League Baseball. This is the Baseball Betting Show. Here is your host, Greg Peterson. Everybody, good luck, people, Las Vegas, for the Baseball Betting Show with myself, Greg Peterson, now part of the Visa Family Podcast. Always great to be joined by Rob Donaldson. He does a great job with all of his shows. He's got his Rob's Best Bets show, which you're able to find on his YouTube feed, youtube.com slash his name, Rob Donaldson, all together. He does a great job with the No Name Baseball Podcast, which he is making quite a name for as well. Every single time he joins his podcast, lends tremendous insights, lends winning bets. So it is always a pleasure to get him aboard. Big thanks to Rob for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this MLB Saturday as we touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GNet underscore 81. We are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the National League games first, then the American League games. Any interleague games are going to be at the bottom. The lone exception is I'm going to do the Rays game against the Royals together. That's going to be a little bit out of rotation order just because we got an unexpected double dip there. So do be mindful of that. But that said, it is all going to be in rotation order, including the first of the double dips. And we've got our DK Network pick 
In game number one of this one, this is going to be 901-902 to start out with. San Diego Padres are on the road facing off against the Philadelphia Phillies. And this first game will be the game that has the DK Network pick. It's going to be Tywin Walker on the bump for the Phillies. Blake Snell is on the bump for the Padres. Padres are the favorite of anywhere between minus 125 to a minus 130. Anywhere between plus 105 to plus 117, your number on the Phillies. Nine being the total over is at minus 120, and the under is at even. Now, I did set the Phillies as a minus 113 favorite. I think that you've got two really good pitchers in prime form going at it, which is why the DK Network pick, that is going to be on the total under. I was talking about it with Rob. Feels ridiculous that we're getting a total of 9. I set my total at 7.8. So that is going to be the DK Network pick. You've got a pair of guys that they legitimately ended the first half of the season as the best two pitchers in the National League, in my opinion. You did have Tywin Walker give up four runs in his last start entering into the All-Star break, but all in all, for Tywin Walker, it has been a very good run for him. 1.62 ERA, 9.2 strikeouts, and 2.8 walks. Per nine innings, giving up zero or one run or in five out of his last six starts. So he's really been able to pick it up. Overall for the year, it's been a little bit more teeter-totterish for Tywin Walker. 402 ERA, fielding independent in that neighborhood with about eight strikeouts to three and a half walks per nine innings, but has really rounded into form after a brutal start to the season. And then for Blake Zell, you want a man that's hot? Nine starts or fewer with two runs or fewer. Getting north of 14 strikeouts per nine innings in this time span with a 0.68 ERA. I mean, my goodness, opponents are going to buck 55 in this stretch. Now, is Blake Snell going to be able to continue this 0.68 ERA that he's had in his last nine starts? No, but you've got, in my opinion, the two hottest pitchers in the National League over the last, we're going to call it about 35 or so days, going at it, and we've got a total of nine shaded up to the over. Now, there's going to be a little bit of wind out there in Philadelphia, but also playing to their advantage is that these two teams play the night game, and this is going to be a game that is going to be taking place at 10.05 a.m. Pacific, Eastern Time, that is 1.05 p.m., so you've got the sleepy bats out there, and just a pair of teams in general that aren't necessarily generating a lot of offense. Both of these teams are in the top eight in the big leagues in terms of runners trained on base per game, and for both of these teams, it's a different reason. For the Philadelphia Phillies, they're a top eight team in terms of batting average. Plenty of guys are able to move the line. Bryson Sott and Nick Castellanos are both hitting right around a 300. You've been able to have the likes of a Bryce Harper be able to give you a 385 on base. They've had Alec Bohm be able to step up as well. Now, you could use a bit more on Trey Turner, JT Riamuto, hitting about a 245 to a 250, but batting average is not the issue for the Phillies. The issue is you've got Kyle Schwarber who's been able to pound out 22 home runs. Castellanos has had 13. Nobody else has really given you north of 10, so that's where you need some like Trey Turner to be able to step up for this lineup. For the San Diego Padres, the problem with their lineup is that it's very top-heavy. Going into the game on Friday, you had each of the top five hitters all hitting at least a 255. I mean, they've been able to do a relatively solid job. Awesome Kim, Sandra Bogarts, they both give you north of a 340 on base. So for the Padres, they actually do have the number one walk rate in all the big leagues as well. So they are able to generate some walks. Juan Soto, a 4-15 on base. He, Fernando Tatis Jr., Manny Machado, all between 15 and 17 home runs thus far this season. And Tatis Jr., he's hitting well above a 300 over the last 35 days. Got Manny Machado hitting above a 300 since he has come back from injury as well. But it's the likes of the entirety of the catcher's spot. Matt Carpenter, Trent Grisham, Rudan Odor, Jake Cronenworth hitting at 220 or lower. That's absolutely torpedoing the seam. 
Meanwhile, for the Phillies, you need a little bit more out of Bryce Harper from a power perspective as well. That has been really eluding these offenses. And for the Padres, they did have a little bit of a rough go of it with their bullpen towards the back half prior to the all-star break. But all in all, it still has been a bullpen that has been able to do a solid job. You need Nick Martinez to be able to rebound a little bit. But Josh Hader has been one of the best closers in the big leagues. Siva Wilson being out with an injury hurts. But Tom Cosgrove has been able to give you a sub-2 ERA. Someone like a Brent Honeywell, Tim Hill. These are guys giving you about a 3.5 to about a 3.7 ERA. And then for the Philadelphia Phillies, they are dealing with an injury to Jose Alvarado right now. But you do have Jeff Hoffman, who's really been able to step in this bullpen. About a 2.50 ERA. Andrew Vasquez has been terrific. And Craig Kimbrell, I've given him a lot of slack, but he's been able to put together a pretty nice season thus far. So I do have some faith in both of these bullpens coming through. I just think that the Phillies have a little bit more in terms of being able to move the line. The Padres... They're currently about 23rd in the league in terms of batting average. I do think that that bottom of the fold hurts them in the spot, which is why I did set Walker as a slight favorite. But my network pick, that is going to be on this total under. And then if you take a look at the next game, that is 9-3, 9-4 between the Padres and the Phillies. Ryan Weathers goes for the Padres, and Ranger Suarez is on the bump for the Phillies. We currently have no numbers up on this game, but I set this one to where I'm going to be willing to back the Phillies as well. Made them... A minus 154 favorite. So minus 153 or less looking at the Phillies, plus 155 or higher looking at the Padres. And then nine or less looking at the over, nine and a half or higher to the under as you've got another hot pitcher in this game for the Philadelphia Phillies and Ranger Suarez, who's been able to do an absolutely tremendous job. Now, last two starts going into the All-Star break, he did allow a combined nine runs, eight of which were earned. He was hurt a little bit by his fielding. And was he a little bit lucky on balls in play in the month of June? He absolutely was, because in the month of June, he gave up four total runs over the course of five starts. A buck oh eighty ERA after he had a really rough first three starts of the season. But all in all, I do like what I've been seeing out of Rangers Forest, especially with him being able to kick up the swing and miss stuff. His strikeouts per nine rate, that's more around an eight and a half up from last year. He is still giving up about three walks per nine innings, but has done a nice job keeping the ball in the yard. Now, now did he with him. 592 home ERA compared to a 239 road ERA. I do think that he is going to be able to rectify that a little bit more, but a big reason why I just did set him as a little bit more of a favorite in this spot is that I don't have a lot of faith in Ryan Weathers whatsoever. Weathers just has been a weathering the storm, six strikeouts per nine innings, a six ERA. He doesn't do the world's worst job with regards to command, but still does give up north of three walks per nine innings. His home runs per nine rate is about one and a half, even a little bit higher than that. Just has never been able to find success at the big league level. Honestly, has not really pitched well at the minor league level. So I think that you're only going to get a few innings out of him. And then from there, the San Diego Padres are very much going to be dependent upon this bullpen trying to be able to hold down the fort. So at a minus 153 or less, looking at the Phillies in game number two. And then plus 155 or higher, looking at the Padres. Nine or less, looking at the over. Nine and a half or higher to the under. Nine of five, nine of six on the betting board. It is the San Francisco Giants. They throw the facing up against the Pittsburgh Pirates. You don't mess with the Johan Oviedo is going to be going for the Buccos and Alex Cobb is on the bump for the Giants. Giants are between minus 147 to minus 155 favorites. Between plus 130 and plus 140, your number on the Buccos. 8.5 is the total. Under is between minus 110 to a minus 120. Over is any between even and minus 110. I did set the Giants at a minus 138. If you are taking a look at the run line, you're finding the Giants 
at right around about a plus 110 or so. I would need more like a plus 125. And if you do get into a situation where you're getting a run and a half and you're having to lay minus 125 or less, that is something that I would be willing to entertain with the Pittsburgh Pirates as well. Because with Yohan Oviedo, has he been blowing people away? Has he been like some sort of a Mona Lisa Vito of pitching or anything like that? No, but he's been able to do a suitable job, I think is the best way of putting it, for a Pittsburgh Pirates team that's had a tough time with their offense. For Yohan Oviedo... He's got numbers that indicate that he should be doing for a little bit of positivity as he's given up 0.9 home runs per nine innings. He's getting right around eight punch outs per nine innings. Now, he does lead the National League at losses with 10 losses, but I do think that that's a little bit of a stat that is just indicative of the fact that he just has not been able to get a lot of help in general. Going up against the San Francisco Giants team, that I will say, in terms of a road on base percentage, they are a top five team in the big leagues with that regard. And they do hit the deep ball a lot more when they're on the road rather than when they're at home. A lot of that is because Oracle Park, it is such a pitcher's park. It's not even funny, but you do have a San Francisco Giants team that they're only getting about one home run per game when they're at home on the road. This is more like 1.4. And for the San Francisco Giants, come into the uh, series averaging about 5.3 runs per game on the road, more like four runs per game at home. I love the way that they do platoon, though. As for the Giants, you're not going to have that one guy that gives you 30-plus home runs this season, but you've got essentially six different guys that will be able to give you between 9 and 13 home runs. Michael Conforto right now leading the way at 13 home runs, and then everyone past that is hitting at least a 252 and has at least a 319 on base with Lamonte Wade Jr. hitting for about a 400 on base. Nine home runs this far this season. J.D. Davis, 11 bombs, 350 on base. They do a great job of mixing it up against lefties and righties. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, what's just so key for them is finding an ancillary source of power outside of Jack Swinitsky. Swinitsky is right now hitting leadoff as he's been able to give the team 19 home runs, about a 360 on base. He has been tremendous. You need someone like Henry Davis, Carlos Santana to be able to step up. They're both hitting between about a 230-240. Power is there for them, but it hasn't necessarily come to the forefront quite yet. On that front, Pico Mercano has seen a little bit of drop-off with his production as well. Brian Reynolds has been able to 265. And Andrew McCutcheon, he's been a little bit in and out of the fold. He's a little bit longer in the tooth, but he's able to get on base really outside of Swinitsky, though. You don't have a ton of power now for the Pittsburgh Pirates. What else is key for this team? Getting back to the good bullpen ways of the beginning part of the season because the Pittsburgh Pirates actually had one of the best bullpens in the big leagues towards, like, middle of June, and then it just went straight down the toilet bowl when you saw Jose Hernandez along with Yohan Ramirez go on the injured list. Yohan Ramirez is back the fold. That is very good for the team, but going into the second half of the season, this was a Pittsburgh Pirates team that over the last 30 days, they were 26th in the league in terms of bullpen. Tori Moretta has been having a little bit of a rough go of it recently, but Carmen Maldozinski He's been able to give you about a 250 ERA. David Benar, Yuri De Los Santos, they've been able to give you a sub-2 ERA. So, got a little bit of bullpen pitching there. And for the San Francisco Giants since the beginning of the month of May, this team has been tremendous with their bullpen. As Taylor and Tyler Rogers, Ryan Walker, throw in there your main closer, Camilio Duvall, all posting up sub-330 ERAs, has been massive for this team. And then when it comes to Alex Cobb, he is someone that he pitches significantly better when he is at home rather than when he is on the road. He's got a 291 ERA overall this season, but buck 24 ERA at home, 450 ERA on the road as he's given up just one home run in 43 and two-thirds innings at home. It's not like he's getting like completely shelled on the road. He's given up a home run per nine innings. That's a very respectable number, but 
he has been giving up quite a bit of hard contact in general. Opponents are hanging about at 275 off of him, so even the ball, though the ball is not flying out of the yard, he is giving up quite a bit of contact. So I did need to set the Giants more around about a minus 138 on the money line. This is a little bit more of a wait and see, but right now what I'm trying to see if I'm able to get is if the Pittsburgh Pirates are right around about a minus 125 getting a run and a half, that is where I would be diving in on as I did set my total more around about an 8.4. Here at an 8.5, it is going to be a take on the under end. Right now, what I'm most likely going to be taking a look at, letting the line marinate in the AM, but that said, what I'm taking a look at is if I can get like a plus 140 on the Pirates and or minus 125 getting a run and F with those Buckos. 907-908 on the bang board. The Milwaukee Brewers at the red faceoff against the Cincinnati Reds. Yes, we are on the Cincinnati, and they're on to Andrew Abbott getting the start for them. Freddie Peralta is on the bump for the Brewers, and the Brewers are between even money and plus 105, between minus 114 to minus 120, your number on Cincinnati. 9.5 to 10 is the total. On the 9.5, over is minus 120, the under is even on the 10, the under is minus 120, and the over is even. I did set my total on 9.4, whether you be on a 9.5 or a 10. I'm going to be taking a look at this total under, and I do think that regression is coming in for Andrew Abbott, as Rob was saying, but this is also one of those cases where I say, yeah, regression is coming, but I don't think that's going to be in this spot against a Milwaukee Brewers team as currently dead last in the National League in terms of batting average. Christian Yelich has actually been able to do a very good job for the Milwaukee Brewers this year. 380 on base, double-figure amount of homers. He's been able to do his part. Past that, it's been... Rather rough for the Milwaukee Brewers, to say the least, as you've got guys that are able to hit home runs. This is a Brewers team that's an above-average team in the big leagues with being able to pound out the deep ball. William Thomas has been able to lead the way with 16 home runs. He's dealing with an injury, but Rowdy Tellez has been able to give you 12. You've been able to get 12 bombs out of Joey Weimer as well. But outside of Christian Yelich, in terms of the guys with double-figure amount of homers, nobody with above a 294 on base. Nobody hitting above a 213 going into the All-Star break. That is a bit of an issue. And then you're getting meaningful at-bats for someone like a Bryce Tarang, who's got a 265 on base. It has been a very rough season for Jesse Winker. 324 on base, but hitting a 200 with one more home run than Greg Peterson and 150 at-bats as far as this season. Andrew Maricario is someone that you're relying upon to be able to move the line. Not a good situation for the Milwaukee Brewers and for the Brewers as well. They're a little bit outgunned in this bullpen as well. You've got Elvis Piguero, Joel Piamps. I really like both of these guys. I've been able to do, they're both giving you a sub-3 ERA. And Piamps actually has a buck 91 ERA, so that's been very complimentary of Devin Williams. Bryce Wilson is able to be a little bit of a long guy, but who's that guy that's going to be the bridge? They're looking to like J.C. Mejia right now, the J.B. Kukakis, along with Trevor McGill, Javi Guerra, Gus Varlin experiments all failed. So that has been a big issue for them. And for the Cincinnati Reds, you just have a little bit more depth with this bullpen. Alexis Diaz is not quite on the same level as Devin Williams, but he's a good closer. And then you've got nice bridge guys in the likes of Alex Young, Daniel Duarte, that are posting up a sub-3-5 ERA to be able to get him the ball. And for the Cincinnati Reds, the power numbers are not necessarily tremendous with this team. As for the Reds, they're getting a little bit more than a home run per game. A little bit of that is a product of the ballpark, though. As Great American Ballpark, it is very much a hitter's paradise. But for the Cincinnati Reds going into the All-Star break, they were a top-five team over the last three, five days in terms of runs per game. As the Reds, they are now overall fifth in the league in terms of runs per game thus far this season. And it's not necessarily via the deep balls I was alluding to. You've got Spencer Sear, Jonathan India, Jake Fraley, who have been able to give you between 11 and 14 home runs apiece, and they're the only guys on the roster with north of seven. It's just all these guys being able to get on base. Fraley, Steer, these guys, both with about a 365 on base. L.A. De La Cruz, he's been hitting well above a 300. 
You've had Matt McClain be able to hit a 300. You've got someone like Tyler Stevenson giving you a 340 on base. Will Benson, a 385 on base. So it's just death by a million cuts. Going up against someone in Freddie Peralta just has not been sharp in general. For Freddie Peralta, he's always been hurt by the walks, about 3.7 walks per nine innings. Now he's giving up 1.6 home runs per nine innings. That has not been himself on the road. 388 home ERA isn't great, but a 582 ERA on the road is even worse. On the road, giving up over 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Swing and miss stuff is still there for Freddie Peralta, but all in all, I like the way that the Reds are performing. I think that Andrew Abbott is going to be doing for regression, as we were alluding to a little bit earlier. As for Andrew Abbott, when he got called up to the big leagues, he just instantly was able to find success. He did give up six runs in his last start against the Milwaukee Brewers. I think that he's going to be able to work upon that. Fielding independent is a 386 with Abbott compared to a 238 ERA. He's given up about three walks per nine innings, but has good swing and miss stuff. Ten and a half strikeouts per nine innings. I think that he's going to learn from that last start against the Milwaukee Brewers and be able to get the Reds victory, set the Reds at a minus 133. So, looking at the money line of the Reds to go along with the total under. 909-910 on the betting board. It is the Washington Nationals. They have to throw the facing off against the St. Louis Cardinals. For the Cardinals, it is Stephen Mass, and it's good old to be determined for the Washington Nationals. I am finding a stray number at DraftKings with the St. Louis Cardinals opening up at a minus 245. Plus 205 on Washington with a total of 9 shaded to the over. Now, I'm thinking that they're probably projecting a different pitcher than what I am. And even if they are, it would probably be a case where darn near anyone on the Washington Nationals would represent a play at a plus 205. That's just a point of no return. Steven Matz, I mean, unless if he's going up against the Oakland A's and Jotaro Fujinami, he should not be a minus 245 favorite. Steven Matz is not very good. The St. Louis Cardinals are 3-16 and 16 in games in which he has pitched in any capacity thus far this season. Now for Steven Matz, it does feel like he's been able to rectify things just a little bit as he's given up about one home run per nine innings and he had a just brutal start to the season as a starter. I mean, first two months he was posting up about a 570 ERA ever since he got sent to the bullpen. Things have actually been a little bit more savory for him. He's had a sub-350 ERA since he did get sent to the bullpen, and now he's trying to resurface as a starter. Has been better at home rather than on the road. 338 home ERA compared to a 603 ERA on the road, but still someone that just gives up a lot of contact in general. He's given up three walks per nine innings. He's getting about eight and a half strikeouts per nine innings. Jake Irvin, who currently ESPN has as he listed starter. He's giving up a little bit over a home run per nine innings. The biggest thing with Irvin is that he does need to polish up those walks. He has been giving up about 4.2, 4.3 walks per nine innings, but on all, he's done a good job of not giving up the massive mistake, which is something that you like. He does have a 5-12 field independent compared to a 4-60 ERA. A little bit concerning because he doesn't necessarily have the world's greatest swing and miss stuff right now, about 6.3 strikeouts per nine innings, but he was able to lead the team to wins over the Texas Rangers and the Seattle Mariners in two out of his last three starts entering into the All-Star break. And for Irvin, he's just been a really a steady Eddie guy. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in each out of his last six starts. Now, he's given up, I believe, at least two runs at all, but one of those. But you know what? He makes sure that he is avoiding the massive blow-up inning, unlike his first month when he was sent up to the big league level. That's something that you're able to build around. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, the team is averaging right around 5.2 runs per game, but 
They've actually got a home record that is pretty much on par with their road record as entering into the series. 17 and 25 are the St. Louis Cardinals at home thus far this season. This has been a cataclysmically bad season for them. Tommy Edmond, he's currently on the injured list. They've been really mixing and matching out there in the outfield. Now, I will say for Wilson Contreras at the catcher spot, it has been a case where he's been able to pick it up a little bit more. You take a look at what he's been able to do over the last 30 days. Small sample size, but he's hitting a 400 over the last 30 days. So, you know what? That's something that you're able to build around, but... Nolan Gorman has went down the toilet bowl over the last 40 days. He's hitting below the middle side of 200. I believe he's got two home runs in that time span. Now you do have the likes of Jordan Walker, Nolan Arenado, Paul Goldschmidt, Brandon Donovan, all in between a 283 to a 284. These guys have all been able to do a relatively solid job of be a reach base as well. Arenado, 19 home runs as far this season. Goldschmidt has been able to give you 15 as well. Paul DeYoung, not necessarily giving you a lot of average, a lot of on base, but he's been able to slug out 12 home runs. But for the Washington Nationals, what this team does a very good job of, they stay disciplined at the plate. They don't have a lot of power as they're a bottom three team in the big leagues in terms of total home runs, especially on the road. But Lane Thomas, Jameer Candelario, in combined 27 home runs between these two guys, you've had Thomas be able to do a very nice job hitting for a 300 thus far this season. And you have had Keebe Ruiz be able to give you right around nine home runs. He's been sort of in and out of the fold. It has hurt this team the fact that Victor Robles has been dealing with quite a bit of injury issue thus far this season as well. But some like Joey Manessis has been able to 285. They do a nice job of just being able to find a way to get on base. Top 10 team in the big leagues in terms of batting average now. For the Washington Nationals, they really need to find something in this bullpen because they are currently dead last in the National League. In terms of bullpen area, Mason Thompson has been able to pick it up a little bit more. And Jordan Weems is something they do like. He's been able to give you about a 225 area when you call up Yohan Adon to be the long guy that's not necessarily too terrific. Corey Abbott has been getting completely destroyed as well. But it's not like the St. Louis Cardinals are doing a great job with their bullpen. They're a bottom eight team in terms of bullpen area as well. And you don't have a single active pitcher because they're still dealing with an injury to their main closer in Ryan Helsley that overall this season has pitched more than seven innings and has an ERA below a 3.65. That's terrifically bad to say the least. As you've got like everyone posting up about a 4 to a 4.25 ERA. Andre Pallante, Chris Stratton, Giovanni Gallegos, Jordan Hicks, just pretty much all in that fold. So I do take a look at the spot. And should the St. Louis Cardinals be a favorite? Yes. Should they be this demonstrative of a favorite? No, this is a circumstance where if I could get a plus 185 or greater with the Nationals, I'm going to be taking a look at that. Now, I did semi-total at a 9.7, so the 9 that I'm seeing initially, I would be taking a look at that over. As a matter of fact, 9.5 or higher, looking at the over 10 or higher to the under end with the Cardinals, I'd be willing to take them on the run line at a minus 105 or less. Certainly don't think I'm going to be getting that either. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board. The LA Dodgers, they throw the facing off against the New York Mets. As Kodai Senga goes for the Mets and Tony Gonsolin is on the bump for the Dodgers. The Dodgers are a minus 120 favorite. Even money is your price on the Mets. 9 is the total over and under both at minus 110. I've got this pretty much flipped. I set the Mets as a minus 121 favorite. With Tony Gonsolin, regression has been coming, and it has been coming for a very, very long time with them, and now we're starting to see it. As for Tony Gonsolin, he had a year and a half run where he was one of the luckiest pitchers I had really ever seen in my life. 
He had a fielding and a pennant in 2022 of a 328 with a 214 ERA. He still has a fielding and a pennant that's about 0.8 higher than his ERA this season. This season, he's got a 386 ERA, fielding independent of a 464. He's allowing three and a half walks per nine innings, only getting about 7.2 punchouts per nine, giving up about a home run per nine innings. But for Tony Gonsolin, he has now given up four plus runs in each out of his last four starts, going up against someone in Kodai Senga that he needs to clean up the walks. He has won the top guys in terms of giving up walks in the big leagues, and he's going up against an L.A. Dodgers team that they are number two in the big leagues in terms of walks on a prep at basis, but I've got a whole heck of a lot more faith here in Kodai Senga than I do in Tony Gonsolin, as for Kodai Senga, he's been able to have quite a bit of success at home. The road has been an issue for him. He has posted up north of five ERA when he has been away from New York, but when he has been in New York, he's been able to give you a sub-275 ERA. He has gotten at least six strikeouts in each out of his last five starts. Once again, 4.7 walks per nine innings. A little bit of an issue, but 385 fielding independent, 331 ERA. Most of the success that he's had has been at home. Now, you've got concerns with both of these bullpens. Both of them, they do rank in the bottom 10 in the big leagues in terms of ERA. You've got the better closer on the side of the New York Mets and David Robertson. And Brooks Raley has been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. He's been a very good bridge guy for this bunch. Really past that, even though Grant Hartwig has been actually able to give you a sub-2 ERA. I don't know how long that's going to be lasting for this team. You've got schlubs like Adam Adovino and company that come out of the bullpen. Not great. Mets 21st in the league in terms of bullpen ERA entering into the All-Star break. Dodgers are 23rd, though. And Bruce Harder Gratterall has been able to do a nice job for this Dodgers team. But what else do you have? Caleb Ferguson has been a little bit up and down. But Yancey Almonte, Alex Vesio were very valuable pieces of this bullpen last year. They have just gone completely down the toilet bowl, though. I will say, for the LA Dodgers, even though they don't hit for a lot of average, as a matter of fact, this is a bottom 12 team. In terms of batting average on the road, you just have so much slam power with uh, Mookie Betts has been able to give you 26 home runs, nearly a 380 on base. Freddie Freeman hitting for a 327 home runs. J.D. Martinez, 22 home runs. Max Muncy, 21 home runs. For Muncy, only a buck 98, but 321 on base. Will Smith, nearly a 400 on base. He's been able to give you 13 home runs. So you just go down the list and it's a fearsome Dodgers lineup. Meanwhile, for the Mets, not doing a great job of getting on base, but Pete Alonso just continues to hit slams. He's been able to give you 26 home runs thus far this season. And then the two Franciscos, Francisco Alvarez, Francisco Lindor, a combined 36 home runs thus far this season, nearly identical batting average, hovering right around about a 240. Lindor has been able to give you a little bit more in terms of on base percentage, but both of these guys close out the first half white out as well. Brandon Nimmo has been able to give you about a 365 on base. And then Tommy Pham, ever since he got into that Twitter beef with that random guy, I have no idea if that just ignited something in him or something, but he's been able to give you a 400 on base over the last three days. So you do have a Mets team that's starting to come around a little bit with the offense. For the LA Dodgers, this team has been just not the same on the road. They're 500 on the road. They've been very dominant at home thus far this season. So I think with the Mets having a nice pitching advantage here, they should be able to get the job done. I did set the Mets as the favorite more around minus 120. So I'm going to be taking a look at them on the money line with the total. Did set it at an 8.7 because I do think that Senga going to continue his dominance at home. Looking at the under and looking at the Mets on the money line. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board. The Cleveland Guardians are on the road facing off against the Walker Texas Rangers as Andrew Heaney goes for the Rangers and Gavin Williams is on the bump for Cleveland. Nine is the total over and under anywhere between minus 105 to a minus 115. Texas is between a minus 148 to a minus 155 favorite and between plus 130 and plus 140. Your number on Cleveland and 
with the Guardians. I did set them as a plus 148 underdog. The minus 148, that's a max I'd be willing to lay on the money line. If you're taking a look at the run line of the Rangers, you're seeing that at a plus 130. I would need more like a plus 135-ish to be able to take a shot there. So at the current number, it's a minus 148 that I'm seeing on the Rangers. It's the absolute max I'm willing to lay, but I would want to play it safe on the money line because you do have a Guardians bullpen that is currently number one in the big leagues in terms of ERA. Even with James Garantek currently on the fold, and even though Manuel Classe has honestly struggled a little bit this season, you've got so many guys that have just supplied good seasons for this team. Aniel De Los Santos... Eli Morgan, Nick Sandlin, Trevor Steven. You're able to go down the list of guys that have been able to supply a sub-3-3 ERA. Now for Texas, they are currently a bottom-8 team in terms of bullpen ERA, but reinforcements have come as Veraldis Chapman is going to be a nice addition for the team. you got the likes of Jose LeClerc, Grant Anderson, even some like Brock Burke and Will Smith. They'll be able to give you a sub-3-80 ERA, so I do think that they're going to improve with that regard. And for Andrew Heaney, the big thing for him is that he's always got to avoid the deep ball. The good news is he's going up against the Cleveland Guardians. The Cleveland Guardians are dead last in the big leagues with regards to being able to hit home runs, which is why I did set Andrew Heaney as a little bit more of a favorite than I would against another team that might be of similar nature because with Andrew Heaney, 1.8 home runs allowed per nine innings, but he gets nearly 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So walks, a little bit of an issue, 3.8 walks per nine innings. He does go up against the Cleveland Guardians team that they're starting to move the line a little bit more. And for the Cleveland Guardians, they don't need supreme power to be able to make the playoffs. Last year, they had the second fewest home runs of any team in the big leagues, and they were able to make the postseason. You've right now got Jose Ramirez, Josh Naylor, who entered into Friday combining for 25 home runs. Ramirez, about a 365 on base. Josh Naylor hitting a little bit above a 300. But the real key for this team, having the likes of Ahmed Rosario, Stephen Kwan, Will Brandon get back to what they were last year when they were all hitting above a 270. These guys entered in the All-Star break in between about a 262-270. Andre Semenna sitting about 250. Need a little bit more there, but the Guardians offense, it is starting to come back into form a little bit. And do I expect a bit of regression with regards to the Texas Rangers lineup? Absolutely, because they were number one in the big leagues in terms of runs per game. It just feels a little bit unsustainable that on any given night, you could essentially have all but one of your starters hitting at least a 270. And the guy that's not hitting a 270 is hitting a 261 with north of 20 home runs in Adolis Garcia. That's just absolutely bonkers right there. But Josh Young, he's been able to do a very nice job hitting about a 280 with 19 home runs entering into the All-Star break. Corey Seager hitting a 350 with a double-figure amount of homers. You've had Ezekiel Duran hitting above a 300 with a double-figure amount of homers. They do it against righties. They do it against lefties. That has been very nice to see. But I do think that Kevin Williams is a guy that the Guardians are going to be able to rely upon towards back after the season. He had a rough first start against the Oakland A's, was able to round into form after that. He did give up the four runs against the Atlanta Braves. That's just a very tough situation in general, but at the minor league level, had quite a bit of success. Seven walks in his first 24 and a third innings. I do think that Gavin Williams going to be able to do a good job of not like completely holding down the Texas Rangers. This is a Rangers lineup that is very fearsome in general, but I think that he's going to do a suitable job, and I do think that the Guardians bullpen going to be able to hold this total under semi-tail at an 8.8, so looking at the under, especially with the Guardians not being able to take advantage of the fact that Andrew Keeney gives up a lot of deep balls, so looking at the under in this spot, and with the Rangers, one to lay up to a minus 148, and nothing more with them. 9.15, 9.16 on the betting board. It is the Minnesota Twins, a third face-off against the Oakland A's. 
Pablo Lopez goes for the Twins, and it is undecided. Going for the Oakland A's, so this game is off the board. I have simulated as if we are getting J.P. Sears, and who we're getting for the A's? Is it Paul Blackburn? Is it J.P. Sears? Is it Shotaro Fujinami? The world will never know, but for Pablo Lopez, I did set him at a minus 173 favorite. If he is going up against J.P. Sears, will be willing to lay up to about a minus 103 on that Twins run line with a total of 7.3 to where he's 7 or less. Looking at the over 7.5 prior to the under. Obviously, if you get some schlub that is starting instead, if you get like Luis Medina, this is a number that probably goes up by north of 40 cents. So this is very speculative. I'm not going to go into J.P. Sears too much just because we don't have any idea who the Oakland A's are going to be starting in. I feel like we might be doing that a lot this year where we're guessing on the Oakland A's starter because they're just dysfunctional in general. Now I am starting to see Hogan Harris on ESPN and at that number, if it is Hogan Harris versus Pablo Lopez, I'd set the Twins more around a minus 196 on the money line. Would be willing to go up to a minus 118 on that run line. Still seven or less would be looking at the over seven half or higher to the under, but for the Twins, the big key for them, just starting to be able to hit a little bit more. They entered into the second half of the season, dead last in the big leagues in terms of road batting average as, I mean, they've got thumpers. They've got five guys that'll be able to give you a double-figure amount of homers thus far this season, but every one of those guys is hitting at 225 or lower. That'd be Carlos Correa, Byron Buxton, Joey Gallo, Max Kepler, Michael A. Taylor. Gallo's been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but all these guys just have not been able to reach base. You take a look at the starting lineup yesterday, they had one guy in there hitting above a 244. That'd be Donovan Solano. He's been able to do a nice job moving the line for this team, but that's really the issue that you've got for the Minnesota Twins because the Twins are also a top eight team in terms of bullpen ERA. They could use Brock Stewart back at the fold. He was providing a sub two ERA, but you still have Yonder and you still have Jordan Palazovic. Maybe they will give you a sub two ERA. It seems like Oriol Lopez is starting to get into form a little bit more as well. Oliver Ortega has been able to do a nice job and for the Oakland A's. This team is dead last in the big leagues in terms of bullpen area, and they're looking to support a guy in Hogan Harris that he actually had a couple of very nice starts beginning, and then in his final three appearances in general, because with Hogan Harris as well, you do want to note that a lot of times the Oakland A's will utilize an opener for him. He gave up a combined 15 runs in his final three appearances with a combined 10 walks in that time span. That is not too terrific, to say the least, and what is even less terrific is the way that the Oakland A's are hitting at home. It's one of the more pitcher-friendly ballparks that you're going to find in the big leagues. Plays a little bit more hitter-friendly during the daytime, and this is going to be a daytime game, so the marine layer is not going to be out or anything like that, but for the Oakland A's, among players that have seen north of 60 at-bats at home thus far this season, Esteri Ruiz, he is the only one that is sitting above a 239, and currently he is dealing with being on the injured list with a shoulder injury. That is not terrific, to say the least. And you don't have a single guy on this Oakland A's team with more than five home runs at home thus far this year. Brent Rooker has been able to hit five along with Ryan Noda. Noda's been able to give you about a 340 on base at home, but buck 90 batting average. You just don't have guys that are able to move line in general for the Oakland A's team, so then is right now ailing the team as well, which is why it did set a little bit of a lower number with regards to this total, even though it is the poopy Oakland A's that have the pitching staff in this one. And then you take a look at Pablo Lopez, and for Pablo Lopez, it felt like he was one of the most unlucky pitchers in all of baseball in the first half of the season because for Pablo Lopez, it felt like it was like a lot of Texas leaguers. It felt like it was just a lot of balls that they were very weakly hit that just found the wrong area as he had a 389 ERA, but a 317 fielding independent, getting a little bit over 11 strikeouts at 2.4 walks, 
per nine innings. I think that things are going to be very much turning up for Pablo Lopez towards the second half of the season, especially going up against a team and you know, Clint A's that you got to call it what it is. It is a less than savory situation. So in Pablo Lopez versus Oganeris, I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 118 on the run line of the Twins. I'd need at least a plus 187 to take a shot on the Oakland A's money line and a seven or less looking at the over seven half prior to the under. This is our unexpected doubleheader. This is Rays versus Royals, and this is going to be a whole lot of speculation on this one as we really don't have numbers on either of these games. In terms of the game that is going to be happening second, that would be 9-17-9-18. That's the original game. The game that was added is going to be the early game. That's going to be 9-33-9-34, and we will hit that one first. We know that in game number one, it's going to be Tyler Glasnow, who's going to be going for the Tampa Bay Rays. For the Royals, it was supposed to be Alec Marsh going against them. I cannot blame the Kansas City Royals for not wanting to throw out their Alec Marsh once again. It seems like they're going to try someone else. I'm thinking that it's going to be Brady Singer, who was originally supposed to be the Saturday starter. And if we do get Glasnow versus Singer, I'd be setting the Rays as a minus 218 favorite. Would be willing to lay up to a minus 135 on the run line. Eight or less would be looking at that over eight and a half higher to the under. Not going to speculate too much on Singer just because we don't know at this point with him. But what we do know is that with Mr. Glasnow, he has been very much able to get a bunch of strikeouts. He has been able to give you north of 13 strikeouts per nine innings. Now, with Glasnow, he's actually been a little bit better on the road than he has been at home. 386 road area compared to a 426 home area. And I do think that there is a lot of positivity that is doing for him. By the way, if you do get Alec Marsh once again, you're probably... Looking at the Tampa Bay Rays being more like a minus 270 on the money line, I'm seeing ESPN posting up Brandon Marsh, and that'd be a spot where I'd honestly be willing to go up to like a minus 180 on the run line. This is just a really sad Kansas City Royals team. I'll get into that in a second, but in terms of Tyler Glasnow, I think that this is someone that, because he was dealing with the injuries towards the first half of the season, he's doing for a lot of positivity towards the back half of the season. Needs to work on the three and a half walks per nine innings, but all in all, the explosive swing and miss stuff, it is back from, and he gets to go up against the Kansas City Royals team that's in the bottom three in the big leagues in terms of overall on base percentage. You do have a pair of guys, Bobby Witt Jr., Salvador Perez, both of these guys will be able to give you 13 plus home runs, and both of them are earning for a relatively respectable average. They don't do a necessarily a great job of being able to draw walks, but between the two of them, 29 home runs, Witt Jr. is giving you 27 stolen bases, and they're both hitting between about a 245 to 260, but then you have the fallout from there with the likes of MJ Melendez, along with Samad Taylor, Nate Eaton, Darion Blanco, along with Kyle Isabel, all hitting at 210 or lower. None of these guys give you north of 290 on base. You just have nothing with this team. Nick Prado has been able to give you about a 330 on base, but Vinny Pascantino being on the full to surf this team. Michael Garcia, he's been able to about a 285 and a relatively decent sample size, so that's been okay. But for the Kansas City Royals, outside of Perez and Witt Jr., you don't have a single guy on the roster that's active with north of six home runs. Meanwhile, for the Tampa Bay Rays, 11 different guys have hit at least at least seven home runs for the team thus far this season. And on top of that, you're up to seven different guys with at least 11 home runs. And pretty much all these guys, aside from Jose Siri, are also hitting at least a 265. So very well-rounded. They do a nice job of being able to get on base. Like Randy Rosarena, 16 bombs, 390 on base. Luke Rayleigh, 350 on base, 15 home runs. They do it against righties. They do it against lefties. And you've got a Royals team that is currently in the bottom three in the big leagues in terms of bullpen ERA. And they just traded away their best bullpen piece in Royals Chapman, which means that you're going to be seeing a lot of John Heasley, who stinks. You've got Colin Snyder, who's right now posting up a good hearty 250 ERA. That is bound to go northward. Nick Wickren has been terrible in the bullpen. You could see some Ryan Yarbrough, former Tampa Bay Ray. They know him very well. They're going to destroy him. It's just 
not a good situation for the Tampa Bay Rays, to say the least. And then the late game is going to be, it looks like Cole Reagan's going for the Royals. And Cooper Criswell, whether that be as a boat guy or as a starter, he is going to be gone for the Rays. And this would be a circumstance where I'd be setting the Rays more around about a minus 195. I'd be willing to lay up to a minus 128 on the run line. And this is where we go a little bit higher with the total. Because in Glass now versus Singer, that would be an 8 or less to the over, 8.5 or higher to the under. In this game with Criswell versus Reagans, 9.5 or less would we'll be looking at the over, 10 or higher to the under. Because with Cooper Criswell, he's not someone that you want to be itching your wagon to. Now, for the Tampa Bay Rays, this would probably be a little bit more of a piecemeal game. I can't think that they'd be trotting out their Cooper Criswell to be giving you north of five innings or anything like that. But with the Tampa Bay Rays, final 30 days going into the All-Star break, they had the number one bullpen ERA in the American League. A lot of the reason why the Tampa Bay Rays had struggles early on during the season with their bullpen is that they had to mix and match with Drew Rasmussen being out of the fold, the unexpected Jeffrey Springs injury. That caused them to really have to go out there and sign a few guys that became reclamation projects for them, like a Robert Stevenson, like a Jake Diekman. And Diekman has a sub-275 ERA ever since he has entered the Tampa Bay Rays organization for Robert Stevenson. It's been a little bit more of a work in progress with more around a 375, but all in all, these guys have been able to do a solid job. You then have the likes of Pete Fairbanks, Jason Adam, Colin Poucher, who've been able to give you a sub Three ERA all season long. Sean Armstrong unexpectedly has been able to give you a one ERA. So all these guys have been able to do a very solid job. I'll be able to lock down. But with Cooper Criswell, he's got a five ERA whenever he has been trotted out there at the big league level. He's been sort of an off and on guy for the Tampa Bay Rays. And if you take a look at the minor league level as well, not like he's been lighting it up there. Has never been a super duper high strikeout guy overall in his big league career. About nine strikeouts per nine innings, but only getting about eight and a half punch outs per nine innings at the AAA level this year. Doing a good job of being able to mitigate walks, but giving up a little bit of hard contact in general. I have a lot more faith in him than Cole Reagan, so who is one of the main trade pieces in that Aroldis Chapman deal. And I do think that Cole Reagan's a few years from now has a chance to actually be quite good. I know that he was a very highly touted prospect. He just is not stretched out to be a starter. He was being utilized as a long guy for the Texas Rangers, so I think that this is going to be a case where you're going to be seeing a lot of schlubs like Taylor Clark coming out of the bullpen. It's a bunch that has Amir Garrett back in full, which that's going to be able to help out a little bit. Once again, John Heasley has experience as a starter, so I think that you're going to get a little bit of a poo-poo platter of pitchers, and that's not what you want if you're the Kansas City Royals. So, in Criswell versus Reagans, one lay up to a minus 128 on the run line of the Rays would need at least a plus 127 on the Royals. Nine and a half or less looking at the over 10 or higher to the under. In Glass now versus Singer, I'm thinking eight or less to the over, eight and a half or higher to the under. Subject to change if you get some very, very untrustworthy starter for the Kansas City Royals. So, 919, 920 on the betting board. It is the Houston Astros, and they are going to be on the road playing against the LA Angels as Rumber Valdez goes for the Astros and Reed Detmers is on the bump for the Angels. Angels are a underdog of anywhere between plus 107 to a plus 115. Meanwhile, between minus 125 to minus 130 is your number on Houston. Eight is the total over is minus 120 and the under is even. Did semi total at 7.6. I'm going to be diving in on the under, but I've got faith in uh, Framber Valdez being able to pull this one out. I know that Framber Valdez has been dealing with a little bit of injury recently, but all in all, he has been, in my opinion, the best pitcher in the American League. He and Kevin Gosman right now going toe-to-toe for that signing award. Valdez is giving up hardly north of 0.6 home runs per nine innings, has cranked up his strikeout numbers to more around 9.3, 9.4 strikeouts per nine innings, 
that was hovering more around eight last season. He's still only giving up about two walks per nine innings. That was more around three last season. He's just a better form of himself this season. Now, he does have an ERA more around a 323 on the road. That is because he's given up a little bit more hard contact when he has been on the road this season as well. But I think all in all, he's going to continue to dominate the Angels. He's made two starts against them. As well, he combined 15 innings in those starts, giving up a one run. So, he's had their number. You've got an Angels team that is currently dealing with a bunch of injuries. Mike Trout currently out of the fold. They've been dealing with the injury to Brandon Drury as well. They had Mickey Moniak batting cleanup for this team, which is not terrific because Mickey Moniak is a terrific leadoff guy. He's actually getting a home run every 13 at-bats entering into the second half of the season. He got 300. Shoyatani, as we know, he's been incredible. 32 bombs, sitting above a 300. But now you're having to mix and match. Mike Moustakis, he's been able to move the line a little bit. He's been fine. You've had Matt Theus at the catcher spot be okay, but they trotted out their Chad Wallach yesterday. And with Brandon Drury also out the fold, man, it is rough for the LA Angels. Oh, yeah, and you also have Anthony Rendon out, but Anthony Rendon is out with injuries for a very long time, so it's not necessarily unexpected. Now, for the Houston Astros, this has been a rather pedestrian offense itself. You really didn't have anyone in the starting lineup yesterday with north of 13 home runs. They're still trying to get Jordan Alvarez back in the fold, but with the Astros, they are going to have a nice pitching advantage, which I'm going to be getting into in a minute, but for the Astros, you still do have guys that they do a relatively respectable job of being able to get on base, and the offense has been much better on the road than it has been at home, right around 4.2 runs per game at home. A little bit over five runs per game on the road. Mauricio Dubon, Kyle Tucker, Corey Jolks, they've all been able to between about a 279 to a 290. You've been able to get some good production out of Yanir Diaz when he's been in the fold as well. Not drawing any walks whatsoever, but being north of 260, being able to lend some thumping power. I do think that Jeremy Pena at 10 home runs at it below 250 towards the front half of the season. He's going to be able to pick it up as well. And then for Jose Abreu, after a just cataclysmically bad start to the season, he entered in the All-Star break, getting at 271 with four home runs in the last three days. That's something that you do like to see for the Astros. And for the Astros, you've got a top five team in terms of bullpen area. Ryan Presley was a little bit untrustworthy towards the beginning part of the season. He's been able to pick it up. Phil Maton, Hector Neris, Brian Abreu, these guys have been terrific now. The one guy you've got to avoid is Rafael Montero. He's Rafael Montero both. He's been able to not close the door in any situation whatsoever. He's been a big, giant waste of money. That's not good. Everyone outside of Rafael Montero has been pretty solid, though. Meanwhile, for the LA Angels, you did see the bullpen slip up a little bit with the Matt Moore injury. He was supplying a sub-2 ERA. So now the Angels enter into the second half of the season. A relatively league average bullpen. 19th in the league in terms of bullpen ERA. I think that they're a little bit better than this. I never was buying into them being like a top-6 bullpen or anything like that. But Moore is now back in the fold for the team. You've had the likes of Jacob Webb, Jose Soriano be able to give you a sub-325 ERA. Carlos Aceves has been one of the better closers in the big leagues as well. And for Reed Detmers, he has been inherently unlucky thus far this season, and he's pitched really well down the stretch. For Reed Detmers, overall, has given up about 1.2 home runs per nine innings. He is giving up about 3.3 walks per nine innings, but he's gotten that strikeout number up to a right around 11.3 strikeouts per nine innings, and has been significantly better at home than on the road. 335 home ERA compared to a 571 ERA on the road. Last five starts has given up six home runs in those five starts, but that's pretty much all that he's given up. He's been able to do a much better job of being able to generate some swings and misses. Had that one bad start against the LA Dodgers. Prior to that, he had given up a combined five runs in his previous five starts. One of those was on the road against the Texas Rangers. He 
had played against the LA Dodgers, faced off against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so he was facing off against good competition. I do think that Reed Detmers is going to be able to keep the Angels in the game, and I do think that he does a solid job against the Houston Astros lineup that has been a little bit touch and go. So you're at an eight. I'm going to be taking a look at the under with the Astros. I just think that they've got a ailing Angels team outgunned. So I'm going to be taking a look at the under, one to lay up to a minus 130 on the Astros. 921, 922 on the betting board. It is the Detroit Tigers. They have throw it. They're facing off against the Seattle Mariners. George Kirby goes for Seattle. Michael Lorenzen is on the bump for Detroit. 7.5 is the total. The under is between minus 115 to a minus 120. Over is any between even a minus 105. Seattle is between a minus $2 to a minus 215 favorite. And between plus 175 and plus 185 is your number on Detroit. And for Detroit, I did need at least $2 to be able to take a shot here. If you are taking a look at the run line, by the way, you're finding it at even money to plus 105 with the Seattle Mariners. I needed that plus money price to be able to get there. We are seeing that plus 105. I'm going to be willing to back George Kirby in the spot with the Tigers. They actually do back up Michael Lorenzen quite well. It's a bullpen that overall is league average in terms of overall ERA. A lot of this has to do with the long guys and the bulk guys coming in, but you've got some very good relievers in this bullpen. They've been able with the injury to Will Vest, but Jose Cicerano, Tyler Holton, Jason Foley, these are guys giving you a sub-350 ERA. Been able to get some good production out of Alex Lang as well, so I like that they are able to provide and for Michael Lorenzen. Probably wants to crank up the swing and miss stuff. Only about 6.2 strikeouts per nine innings, but has been able to do a good job of holding his own all season long. Has been able to really kick down those walks. Last year, he was giving up about four walks per nine innings. That's down to 2.1 walks per nine innings, which has been a big reason why he's been able to have a bit more success this season. He's only giving up about 1.25 home runs per nine innings. He's been a little bit fortunate on balls in play, but he's actually been able to do a better job of being able to control the deep ball a little bit more on the road at home. He's actually got a little bit of a higher home runs per nine rate, so I do think that he's going to be able to have a little bit of success in a Seattle ballpark that has been one of the most pitcher-friendly ballparks in all of baseball. He has to go up against someone in George Kirby, though, that he just doesn't give up walks. For George Kirby, his walks per nine rate is literally right around one. He has given up 10 walks in 107 and two-thirds innings, so it's actually sub-one. He has been that incredible. He doesn't necessarily get the world's greatest swing and miss. He's only giving you about seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings, but all in all, you know what you're getting out of George Kirby. He has given up three runs or fewer in each out of his last five starts, and he's given up three runs or fewer in all but two of his starts ever since his opening appearance against the LA Angels to begin the season. So all in all, I like what I'm seeing there. And for George Kirby, he's been very equal home to road. 310 home ERA, 309 road ERA. So you know exactly what to expect. And it's to go up against the Detroit Tigers lineup that is second worst in the big leagues in terms of road batting average. And they just don't have any power in there. Spencer Torkelson, Jake Rogers, they've combined for 23 home runs. They're the only guys in the lineup with north of eight home runs. Now, the good news for them, they get back Riley Green. He's been able to hit a 300. He's done his part. If I'm Matt Veerling, be able to give you about a 345 on base. But you've got the likes of Akil Badu, who's been in and out of the fold, Javi Baez, Jonathan Scope, Rogers, who I mentioned before, Nick Maton, all these guys sitting at 225 or lower. It's been terrible on them for the Seattle Mariners. Dasker Hernandez, Julio Rodriguez, their on-base percentage leaves a little bit of something to be desired, but a combined 28 home runs. Both of these guys are hitting right around at 250. And then you've gotten some really good production out of Mike Ford. Limited sample size, but came on towards the last 30 or so days. He's been able to about a 275, slugging out eight home runs and 83 at-bats. That's exactly what this team needs. Jose Calabreo is someone that I look to in the second half of the season as well. 360 on base. 
not necessarily aiming for the world's greatest average, but I like what he's been able to produce, especially with Enuino Suarez, Cal Raleigh, both hitting in that neighborhood about a 225 with 11 home runs. They do an okay job of getting on base, but you expect a little bit more there. And then the likes of Colton Wong, Taylor Trammell, AJ Pollock, Hitting a buck seventy-five or lower, that does need to improve. But what has been good for the Seattle Mariners as well, this bullpen. Taylor Saucedo, Ty Adcock, Andres Munoz, Justin Topa, all being able to give you a sub-3-4 ERA has been terrific. Gabe Spire had a little bit of a spiral towards the back half of the first half. I think that he's going to be able to rebound as well. I do think that George Kirby going to be super-duper accurate once again in this game, and I think that he's going to be able to do just enough for the Seattle Mariners to be able to get to victory. As long as you're getting a plus price, I do like this run line in the spot. And I did set my total at 7.7 because Michael Lorenzen is not getting a lot of strikeouts. I do think that the ball is going to be in play quite a bit as well. So a circumstance where I'm going to be willing to take a look at this 7.5 over, and I'm going to be willing to take the Seattle Mariners on the run line, 923-924 on the betting board. The Boston Red Sox hit the road to face the golf against the Chicago Cubs. Marcus Stroman goes for the Cubs, and James Paxson is on the bump for Boston. Boston is a underdog of anywhere between plus 102 to plus 110. Between minus 120 to minus 130 is your number on the Cubs. Right now, I'm seeing a total at DraftKings of 8 unders, minus 115. The over is minus 105. A lot of books will be posting this probably a little bit later on because it is very much dictated on the Wrigley Field win. It's going to be a little bit of a wind blowing out, but it's not going to be too hard. It's going to be more like five or so miles per hour. It's not going to have a profound impact on this game, but I do think that it is enough of an impact to where I'd be willing to take an eight over. I set my total at an 8.4 and with the Red Sox, I did place him as a plus 130 underdog. For Marcus Stroman, he didn't have the most savory of ends to the first half of the season. I know that he was dealing with a little bit of a blister, so the break probably did say him some good as he gave up three plus runs in each out of his last three starts going into the All-Star break. Prior to that, he had given up north of two runs just twice for the entirety of the season, so I do think that he's in a good spot to be able to rebound for Marcus Stroman. He's been able to do it at home all season long. 281 ERA giving up a home runs per nine rate of about 0.65. He has been very good with his ability to be able to draw soft contact as well as he's not necessarily a high strikeout guy. He's only getting about seven and a half strikeouts per nine innings and that's part of where he's going wrong as well because he does give up still about three walks per nine innings even though he's not necessarily going to be lighting up the radar gun but he does a good job of just being able to change the batter's eye, being able to give them a lot of pitches that they really can't drive and then you look at James Paxson and he's been a little bit more of a strikeout guy has really been able to resurface, and I mean, he's getting right in the neighborhood about 10 strikeouts per nine innings. He's been giving up a little bit of hard contact, especially on the road. On the road, he has given up five home runs in his six starts, spanning 34 innings thus far this season, but also opponents are a buck 92 off of him on the road, and he's got four wins in his six road starts thus far this season, so he has been a godsend for a Red Sox team that actually entered into the All-Star break, pitching very well in the bullpen. Red Sox bullpen was eighth in the league in terms of bullpen ERA over the last three days prior to the All-Star break. You've been able to get some very good production out of the likes of Josh Winkowski along with Chris Martin, both posting up a sub-3 ERA. Brandon Bernardino has come from out of nowhere. He's been able to supply about a 250 ERA as well. I still have trepidation with Kenley Jansen based on 
has scar tissue, but all in all, I did think that it's a Red Sox bullpen that's doing a very solid job on that front. And then for the Chicago Cubs, they were actually number one in the league in terms of bullpen here the last three days going into the All-Star break. You've had Michael Fulmer along with Julian Merriweather, who were stinking it up towards the beginning part of the season, really be able to turn over a new leaf. Adbert Alzelay has been one of the main constants for the team all season long, posting up about a 230 ERA. They've been very good in the way that they've been able to structure things situationally with the bullpen. Really, ever since Brad Boxer has been out of the fold, the team has been much better with regards to their bullpen. And for the Chicago Cubs, you've got guys that are able to move the line, but you don't necessarily have a lot of thumpers on this team. Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morrell, both between 14 and 15 home runs. Nobody else prior to the All-Star break had north of 10 home runs. But you've got a very well-rounded lineup with the likes of Dansby Swanson, Miguel Amaya, Jan Gomes, C.A. Suzuki, all in between about a 255 to 262. Ian App is just outside that, but he's been able to give you a 375 on base. Cody Bellinger, he's back in the fold, and ever since returning from injury, has been hitting well above a 300. Meanwhile, for the Boston Red Sox, they do have the most demonstrative home and road splits with regards to batting average and runs per game in the league. They're registering about 5.7 runs per game when they're at home, about a full run and a half less per game when they're on the road. And for the batting average, I mean, my goodness, this is a team that's hitting right around 288 at home, a sub 235 on the road. Someone like an Alex Verdugo. He is hitting about 85 points lower when he is on the road rather than when he is at home. You've been able to get good production out of Masataki Yoshida, launch Aaron Duran. Both of these guys hitting above a 3-iron thus far this season, but for Duran, he sees his batting average fall by north of 50 points when he leaves home as well. Justin Turner, he's had some very big home and road splits as well. Overall for the season, 13 home runs, hitting about a 288 entering into the All-Star break, but on the road, hitting about a 255, more like a 314 when he has been at home. Now, you do have Rafael Devers. He's actually been able to hit more than 50% of his home runs on the road, and he entered into the All-Star break with 20 in total, but he's also a guy that sees his batting average dip a little bit on the road, and I do think that those splits are going to be playing to the disadvantage of the Boston Red Sox. I did set my total in an 8.4 here today. Looking at the over, especially with the way that Strowman struggled a little bit going into the All-Star break, but rolling back the Cubs on the money line to go along with that over. 9.25, 9.26 on the betting board. It is the Arizona and Diamondbacks. They hit the road. They're facing off against the Toronto Blue Jays. Kevin Gosman goes for the Jays, and Zach Gallen is on the bump for Arizona. 7.5 to 8 is the total on the 7.5. Over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. On the 8, the under is minus 120. The over is even. Here we get the Diamondbacks anywhere between plus 130 to plus 141 underdogs. Meanwhile, with the Blue Jays, they are between minus 148 to minus 155. And for Zach Gallen, I do have to view him very differently on the road rather than at home. For Zach Gallen, he's had an ERA that's hovering right around about a buck fifty at home this far this season. On the road, this does balloon to a little bit north of a five. Going up against someone in Kevin Gosman, who, I mean, he has been just absolutely tremendous with the way that he has been getting strikeouts. It's just been a case where he's had a couple rough starts this far this season. He had three starts where he gave up six plus runs. I think they had one or two other starts where he gave up three runs. Everything else has been two runs or fewer. So for Kevin Gosman, he either gets completely lit up or he gives you a complete dazzler of a start. And I do think that we're going to be seeing some negative regression for this Arizona lineup, as we were talking about with Robin last segment. You've got someone in Gosman who comes in having given up two runs or fewer in four out of his last five starts. He currently leads the American League in fielding independent. It's nearly a half a point lower than his 303 ERA. Overall this season, Gosman has been a little bit better at home as well, giving up a little bit less than a home run per nine, and then he's posting up a 258 ERA. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, you do have a nice quartet of guys that will be able to give you 15-plus home runs as far this season as Christian Walker, Keitel Marte, 
Corbin Carroll, Lourdes Gurriel. We've all been able to do that. All these guys are hitting at least a 263, by the way, as well, with Marte and Carroll both being able to provide about a 363 on base. In terms of Carroll, he's also been able to give the team 26 stolen bases. And under the radar, Jake McCarthy, 20 stolen bases as well. This has been one of the best base ceiling teams in all of baseball, but you need to get on be able to get the stolen bases and I think that that is going to be a challenge for the Arizona Diamondbacks especially with the Blue Jays under the radar being a top 7 team in terms of bullpen ERA as well as Joe Romano has been a really nice closer for this bunch you've had Tim Meza along with Eric Swanson do a very solid job in those middle innings as well being able to supply a sub 3 ERA Jay Jackson is someone that is back with the team I've always liked him coming out of the bullpen and for the Arizona Diamondbacks that is going to be a little bit of an issue for this team the Diamondbacks entered in the all-star break right around late average with their bullpen. We've seen a couple of collapses from them, but all in all, Scott McGough, Andrew Chafin, Kyle Nelson, they're giving you a sub-3-2 ERA, but when you get into the guys like Jose Ruiz and company, that's when it becomes a little bit of a roll of the dice. And for Toronto, this is a ballpark that has been playing a little bit more pitcher-friendly thus far this season, and that's been noted with the fact that the Blue Jays just have not put up the power numbers that we were thinking. You've got Matt Chapman, George Springer, Vlager Jr., all between 12 and 13 home runs thus far this season. Now, all these guys are getting on base. They all have at least a 330 on base percentage. Bo Bichette, he's got about a 345 on base himself, 15 home runs. He's been really the main constant for this offense. You saw Whit Merrifield hitting about a 285. You've been able to have Kevin Kiermeyer do a solid job of being able to move the line as well, but you do need some of those ancillary guys, like a Santiago Espeno who's dealt with injury, Danny Jansen, to be able to give you a little bit more of something as well. So Jansen has really been your top guy in terms of home runs on a per-at-bat basis, just has not really been able to stay healthy, and it's not been able to get on base as well. So that's been a bit of an issue. Dalton Varsho has been able to give you a double-figure amount of homers as well, but I do think that for Gosman, he's going to be able to light it up once again. He has been pretty dominant all season long, since a couple of hiccups and. I think that against a Arizona lineup that I do expect quite a bit of regression from, he's going to be able to hold them down. Only seven half that I'm seeing is over at DraftKings. I'm in Las Vegas. I don't have access to DraftKings, so here at an eight, looking at an under seven, I tell it's 7.9. And when it comes to the Blue Jays, I set their money line at a minus 146. If you are taking a look at the run line, you're going to be finding that in the neighborhood about a plus 140 or so. This is a little bit more of a wait and see mode. If we can get more of a minus 145 to a minus 150, we'll be willing to dive in there. If I'm able to get the Diamondbacks more on a plus 147, we'll be willing to take a shot there. So right now, money line is a little bit more wait and see. Turns this total, going to be taking a look at the under 927, 928 on the betting board. The Miami Marlins, they throw the facing off against the Baltimore Orioles. Kyle Gibson goes for the Orioles. Braxton Garrett is on the bump for Miami. Miami is an underdog of any between minus 105 to plus 105. Between minus 113 to minus 115 is your number on Baltimore. 8.5 to 9 is the total on the 9. The under is minus 120. The over is even on the 8.5. Over is minus 120. The under is even. And I did some my total at an 8.6. Here at an 8.5, which I'm finding at pretty much every book except for DraftKings once again. Being out here in lovely Las Vegas, I don't have access to that. I'm going to be taking a look at the over, but with Braxton Garrett, I do feel like he should be the very slight favorite. With Garrett, his numbers are actually inflated upward because he had one just really terrible start against the Atlanta Braves towards the beginning part of the season where he gave up 11 runs and four and a third innings. Past that, I mean, he has been very spectacular. He's got a 343 fielding independent compared to a 370 ERA, giving up 1.5 blocks per nine innings. 
that is the best mark among qualifying National League starters. He's been able to post up nearly 10 strikeouts for nine innings and has been very good on the road with a sub-3 road ERA as well, going up against someone in Kyle Gibson that I just am not a believer in him whatsoever. And Kyle Gibson has actually pitched a little bit better on the road this far this season, but at home, it's been a very murky situation with him. The one thing that Kyle Gibson has been able to do is he's not allowed the deep ball as much this year as in past years. We've seen this with quite a few guys that they do have home run tendencies. They go to Baltimore because of the new dimensions at Camden Yards, and they've been able to benefit quite a bit. But even with that, he's been giving up about a 460 ERA. He is not a strikeout guy by any stretch of the imagination, only getting about seven strikeouts per nine innings, giving up about three walks per nine innings. A 519 home ERA, despite the fact that he's not really giving up a lot of homers. That's not what you want to see. Now, going up against the Miami Marlins lineup, that they're in the bottom two in the National League in terms of runs per game because this is a very top-heavy lineup. You've got Ordea Soler, who's been able to give you 23 home runs. Gary Cooper with 10. Really, nobody else in the lineup has been able to give you north of 10, though. You do have a lot of guys that they get on base. The Miami Marlins are a top-8 team in the big leagues in terms of just overall batting average. Luis Arise is a big reason why he's been able to 383. has just been absolutely magnificent, but you do want to be watching out for Dane Myers. They set him up towards the last week or two going into the All-Star break. Was able to hit a 400, certainly. That's going to be drying up a little bit, but like what I saw there, Joey Wendell over the last three, five days, hitting well above a 300 as well. Then you've got the likes of Garrett Cooper, John Birdie, Yoli Gurriel, hitting between about a 262 to 272. For the Marlins, they do a good job of being able to reach base, but just need a little bit more thumping power to be able to drive them in. And for the Baltimore Orioles, this has been a team that's been in the top eight in terms of runs per game, despite the fact that you don't necessarily have that one-star guy. Maybe Adley Rushman can become that in a few years, as he's been tremendous. 376 on base, not a ton of power, but 12 home runs. You know what? We saw him in the All-Star game. You know what he's able to provide there, but he and Anthony Santander are both in that neighborhood about a 275 with Santander leading the way with 16 home runs. Austin says kid hitting well above a 300 as well. And then they called up this young gun in Mr. Jordan Westberg, who's been hitting really well ever since he got sent up to the big leagues. It's only about an 11-game sample size, but hitting above a 300. Aaron X, since he came over from the New York Yankees, 375 on base, six home runs and about 100 at-bats. Cedric Mullins has been able to give you some stolen bases, hitting for about a 340 now. Mateo has not been terrific, but they're getting Brian Mountcastle back to the fold. Prior to him getting injured, he was leading the team in home runs as well. So that's something that you do like to see. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they've got the best one-two punch in their bullpen. Felix Batista, Yanir Cano, both of these guys have been able to give you a sub-175 ERA. But that's that. You've got Danny Colombe, who's been able to give you a sub-3 ERA. But past that, darn near everyone else, like Brian Baker, Mike Bauman, they have been giving you an ERA that is north of four, so that's a little bit of a concern. They're a bit top-heavy with regards to their bullpen. And then when it comes to Miami Marlins, you've got Steve Okert, who's been able to do a solid job, along with A.J. Pug, George Soriano, giving you a sub-3-5 ERA, but Andrew Nardi being out of the fold, that's been a little bit rough. J.T. Chargois has been a little bit all over the place. Uscar Brazobin feels like he's starting to find it a little bit more, but still do have my trepidations there. But I do think that all in all, the Marlins, they do have a nice pitching advantage in this one. The Orioles, they maybe have a little bit more of a well-rounded offense, but I do think that the Marlins are going to be able to do just enough to be able to get to Kyle Gibson to cash this over of 8.5. So looking there, and with the Miami Marlins, I feel like they should be the slight favorite. So taking the Marlins on the money line to go along with this total over 9.29, 9.30 on the betting board. The Atlanta Braves play us the Chicago White Sox. Lance Lynn goes for the Sox. Spencer Strider is on the bump for Atlanta. 
And Lane is between a minus 282 to a minus $3 favorite. Anywhere between plus 240 and plus 267. You see your number on the White Sox 8.5 is the total. Over is between minus 110 to a minus 120. Under is between even and minus 110. At a plus 267, my hand has almost been forced here on the Chicago White Sox. If you're looking at the run line of the Atlanta Braves, even that is a minus 150. Lance Lynn has stunk this far this season, but Lance Lynn is able to get strikeouts, and I think that just $3, we've gone a little bit too far here with a White Sox team that they've got power. Are they completely undisciplined? Yes, their walk rate is dead last in the big leagues, but you've got Luis Romero. He might be a little bit banged up towards the second half of the season due to the fact that he suffered that injury during the home run derby. That's a little bit less than terrific, but... He's been able to give you 26 home runs. Jake Berger is hovering in the neighborhood of 19 to 20 home runs thus far this season as well. And I mean, you do have someone like an Andrew Benintendi who's been able to hit about a 280 thus far this season. Eloy Jimenez, he's been able to give you a double figure amount of homers. He's hitting for about a 275 now. Other than Benintendi, among guys with at least 60 at bats thus far this season, you don't have a single other player with north of a 330 on base, but you do have guys that they're able to give you some hits. And I expect Tim Anderson, who had a 223. To begin the season and the first half of the season, I do expect him to be able to pick it up a little bit. Now with the Atlanta Braves, it's a very dangerous game fading them because this team is right now number one in darn near every category on offense in the National League. You've got seven different guys who've been able to pound out at least 14 home runs thus far this season. And even the guys that don't have a double-figure amount of homers, like a Michael Harris going into the All-Star break last 35 days, he was hitting above a 300. Orlando Arcia, he's one of those guys without a double-figure amount of homers. He was still an All-Star game starter, hitting nearly a 300. Eddie Rosario, he's setting well above a 300 over the last 35 days. He's up to 14 home runs. Matt Olson, 29 bombs, 360 on base. Ronald Cunha Jr., looking to join the 40-40 club. He's been able to give you a 410 on base with 20-plus home runs as well. You just go down the list. It has been absolutely insane. And for the Atlanta Braves, they've been able to provide the best bullpen area of any team in the National League. Rossi Iglesias was on himself to begin the season. He's been able to come back, and he's been able to be fully healthy. And ever since he got the kinks sorted out, he has been very good. Kirby Yates is providing a sub-3 ERA. You've been able to get good production out of someone like a Ben Hiller. I like what... Colin McHugh has been able to do as well. He's been posting up about a 325-ish ERA as well. And then for the Chicago White Sox, you do have Keenan Middleton along with Gregory Santos. They've both been able to give you a sub-3 ERA, and they're probably going to need to step up because with Lance Lynn, he has posted up a 6 ERA. Now, with Lance Lynn, he's got a fielding independent that's more than a point lower than his ERA. He has been getting 11 strikeouts per 9 innings, but it's really been hurting him. And the Atlanta Braves do this very well. Is a deep ball. He's given up nearly 2 home runs per 9 innings, and we have seen his walks rate go up to about 3.2 walks per 9 innings. I do think that perhaps the All-Star break was able to give him a little bit of a breather because he is a little bit of an older pitcher. And then when it comes to Spencer Strider, this guy has been amazing with the strikeouts. North of 14 strikeouts per nine innings, but he has shown the ability to be getting tattooed a little bit as he gave up a combined, I believe it was either 12 or 13 runs in those starts against the Detroit Tigers and the New York Mets towards the beginning of the month of June. Ever since then, as we have bounced back, four earned runs surrendered in each of his last four starts, getting at least nine strikeouts. And every one of them. And do I think that Strider should be able to win this start north of 60% of the time? Absolutely. I think that when you get to this sort of a number, though, it's just a point of no return. 
I was willing to go up to about a minus 133 on the run line of the Braves. Set them at a minus 257, but being able to get a plus 267 on the White Sox, take the shot there, semi-tall at an 8.2. I'm going to be banking on Lance Lynn being able to get some strikeouts. So taking the Mondo number here with the White Sox along with the total honor. We wrap things up with 931-932 on the betting board. The Colorado Rockies playoffs for the New York Yankees. Clark Schmidt goes for the Yankees, and Connor Siebold is on the bump for Colorado. Colorado is an underdog between plus 135 to a plus 148. Meanwhile, between minus 155 to minus 161 is your number on the Yankees. 11.5 is the total. The over is minus 115. The under is minus 105. And I did set my total at 12.7. Going to be taking a look at the over now with the New York Yankees. They have been a bottom five offense in the big leagues ever since Aaron Judge has went out of the fold. And I mean, the way that Aaron Judge has influenced this team, it has been really second to none. It has been very interesting to take a look at this scene because when he went on the injury list for the first time, he came off of it on May 9th. From May 9th until he got re-injured, this team was second in the league in terms of runs per game, but the good news for them is that they get a shot in the arm going up against Connor Siebold, and it's 665 ERA. It has not been going well for our good friend, Mr. Siebold. He entered into the All-Star break, giving up three-plus runs in each out of his last four starts, and quite frankly, he has not been good anywhere that he's pitched. His home ERA he is currently right in the neighborhood of about a 641. It's actually been worse on the road with a 697, so that's a big, giant issue, and for Clark Schmidt, this is going to be his first time pitching in Coors Field, and I do have a feeling that there could be some struggles with him. Now, with Clark Schmidt, towards the back half of the first half of the season, really kicked it up. First month of the season was absolutely terrible. All in all, has been able to get about nine strikeouts per nine innings, and you take a look at the starts that he made after April, because he left April with a 684 ERA ever since that it's been a 343 over the course of his last 13 total appearances. In this time span, giving up about one home run per nine innings is walks per nine rate. That's been down to about 2.6 walks per nine innings. But the Colorado Rockies, they have been able to get some reinforcements as well. C.J. Crone, Chris Bryant, they've been out of the fold for much of the season, which is why the Colorado Rockies are currently a bottom five team in the big leagues in terms of total home runs. Ryan McMahon is the only guy that at the All-Star break was providing a double-figure amount of homers. He had 14. You've got Randall Gritchick, Elias Diaz, both hitting above a 275. We saw what Diaz was able to do at the All-Star game, so perhaps that'll give him some positivity moving forward. And you do have some young guys that I do think have potential for this team, as they've been giving a few more at-bats than Nolan Jones, who's been able to give you a 375 on base. As we know, the Colorado Rockies, they typically do have some of the most demonstrative home and road splits in the league. The Red Sox have just been a team that has been really second to none with regards to their home and road splits, but this is still a team that they had about 40 points better when they are at home rather than on the road, and for the Yankees, you do need to get a little bit more from the bottom half of the lineup, as we've had a lot of struggling bats. Going into this series, DJ LeMayu, Jose Trevino, Anthony Volpe, Throw in there Josh Donaldson, Waldo Cabrera, all in at 220 or lower. That's been an issue, but you still do have a little bit of thumping power with Volpe being able to give you 13 home runs along Flavor Torres. Torres has been able to provide about a 325 on base. Perhaps the break was able to do very good things for Anthony Rizzo, and you better hope if you're a Yankees fan that they did, because going to the All-Star break, he was hitting about a 200 over the last 45 days. Ever since that series against the San Diego Padres, since I've been the same, and in that time span, he said as many home runs as Greg Peterson. So that's not necessarily what you want to see. You've been able to get a little bit of production out of Harrison Bader when he's been out there, but as we know, he's been in and out of the fold as well. But Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa has been able to produce as well. Now what the Yankees do have going for them, they have by far the better bullpen as they were second in the league in terms of bullpen area after into the yellow star break. The likes of Michael King, Tommy Canely, Nick Ramirez, Clay Holmes, reborn Clay Holmes, 
all being able to supply a sub-3-5 ERA has been big. You've got Ian Hamilton coming off the injured list. And for the Colorado Rockies, bullpen honestly wasn't terrible until Brent Suter went down with an injury. That really killed them. You've had... Pierce Johnson be one of the least trustworthy guys in any bullpen in the league, but you've got Daniel Barr, Justin Lawrence, Matt Cook, they've been able to give you a sub-3-5 ERA. Brad And has really been not good, to say the least. That's putting it politely. Jake Bird has been a little bit up and down as well, but I do think that offense is going to reign supreme in Coors Field in the middle of the summertime. I think that this is exactly what the New York Yankees need to get jump-started with their offense. So I did set my total at 12.7. I'm going to be taking a look at the over with the Yankees. Set them on the money line at a minus 189. If you're taking a look at the run line, I was willing to go up to about a minus 115 on that, and you're able to get even money. So looking at the Yankees run line, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over, and that will wrap things up. For the Saturday edition of the Baseball Betting Show, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, a big thanks to Rob Donaldson, who does great work with Rob's Best Bets, along with the No Name Baseball Podcast. He joined me in the last segment. If you do like hearing from the Sign Podcast, Baseball Betting Show, you're able to subscribe wherever your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Citra, and TuneIn. If you have a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we offer this in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at gnet underscore one. Keep in mind, there's the M. Maybe it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via the five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the baseball season. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. We are the voice of NASCAR. The green flag is in the air and we are underway. The great American race. The Motor Racing Network. NASCAR Cup, Xfinity and Craftsman Truck Series Racing. Live on your hometown radio station and MRN or NASCAR.com. Martinsville, Talladega, the Chicago Street Course. We have the side-by-side action and last lap passes for the win. Photo finishes. Ryan Blaney will win. The voice of NASCAR, the Motor Racing Network work.